and the Oscar goes to Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. And the Oscar goes to Lupita Nyong'o. And the Oscar goes to Halle Berry in Monsters Ball. And the Oscar goes to Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. And the winner is Marvelous Meryl Streep. And the Oscar goes to Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. And the Oscar goes to Olivia Colman. Welcome to this week's episode of Academy Queens. I am the one fish that has no passion, Joey Gentili. And if you think I'm hostile now, wait till you see me tonight. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. <laughs> and this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade, per category. And this week's episode, The Class of 1992. Brandon, buddy, how you doing? Doing great. Marilyn treating you well? Yeah. Um, so I'm quitting my job. So that's great. Kudos. Throw that out there. Kudos. So the job that I got here as soon as we arrived uh, turned out to be pretty horrible. Not going to name what company I'm working for because I don't want that to get all weird. <laughs> but uh, been there. It'll be five weeks when I leave. So I was nice enough to at least put in a two weeks. I didn't just flip a table and walk out. But um, I got a new job, which I'll be starting next week. Uh, hopefully that's better. But otherwise, Baltimore has been really kind. Uh, really liking it. Good. Good. Well, I don't know how the heat factor is out there for you guys, but um, it's been really horribly humid here in Cleveland. And uh, do you remember those three weeks in June that we had this year where it was just like constant overcast and just rainy and it just wouldn't stop for a solid three weeks? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I miss that. I'm just over this shit. I don't know. I have also been drinking pumpkin beers uh, as of late, so I'm like ready for fall. But that's just me. Um, so today's kind of an exciting episode, though. Yeah. Do you want to know why? We have a very, a very special guest. Yes, yes. So, you know, we've done a um, couple guests now. We had Craig Jordan and Kevin Jacobson in season two for 1991 last week. We had Jim Lauka. But, and, of course, we did our roundtable, which uh, was our mid-season um, spinoff show that we just started. However, there's been something that's kind of been missing from this whole experience, and Brandon, what is that whole thing that's been missing? A female perspective. A female perspective, yes. Uh, for the record, we have had offers out, but it's all come down to timing and scheduling. And God knows scheduling, especially for this season, has been crazy. But we finally did it. Do you want to introduce who it is? Uh, sure. So you probably know this person's videos. You're probably a follower on Twitter. And that is Be Kind Rewind, a.k.a. Isabel. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hi. How are you? Very I'm well. Great. Thank you so much for Good. finally getting on with us. God knows it's been, it's been crazy trying to get everything scheduled here, but thank you for your patience and thank you so much for coming on. Oh, of course. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. You, are, you take the title as our first, uh, first lady on the podcast. Ooh, yay, trailblazing. Yes, okay. breaking that glass ceiling. <laughs> Woo-hoo! But not only that, but um, we'll get to your videos here in a second, but you're also a fellow or fellow Ohioan. Yeah, that's right. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, born in Cincinnati, so lived a good 18 years there. It was great. Solid, solid. Yeah. Um, so I don't know about Brandon, but I can only speak for myself here. I found you on YouTube by mistake, even before I found you on Twitter. Um, and that was because we, when we were starting our first season, of course, we have to go through each year and we get through 
we get to 1979, but I had searched, I don't know why I think I had searched it, but Bette Midler Oscar in your video ah. about uh, Jodie Foster had come up, which was our uh, week last week that we just did. And mm-hmm. found this glorious video about how Jodie Foster won. And then all of a sudden I clicked on your former videos and was like, oh my gosh, this this woman has a voice. She's really telling us, you know, what's going on here, how it happened. And I, I got to say, it's really solid. Um, I'd love to hear exactly how you got into this because this is fascinating to me. Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. Um, yeah. So for me, I think, I mean, I've always been obsessed with like actresses and movies and all that kind of stuff. Um, and specifically with a focus on classic Hollywood um, and so I've always been trying to find opportunities to keep stories alive and to make contemporary audiences interested in them. Like, why should you care about, like, who Betty Davis is? Or, like, why should you care about Liza Minnelli? And I like to take those things really seriously and kind of contextualize them within how we think about Hollywood and how we think about our society and how we consume stuff today. Um, and so for me, it was just a really natural way to present those stories was through the Oscars because it's just sort of a metric that everybody understands um, and that everybody has had some sort of experience with, whether it's like making predictions or like seeing the movies that are nominated or whatever. It's just a really good starting point to kind of lay out where we were in a certain period of time and like where these women specifically sort of fall into our popular culture. So that just decided to start making the videos about it, I guess. Um, They're really solid. Yeah, I was kind of inspired by um, Karina Longworth because obviously she does a lot of, you know, classic Hollywood stuff. But what was inspiring to me was that she just kind of took it on herself. Like, it's really just her, like, writing a script, sitting down and recording it. Um, And I was like, oh, like, I can do that if I'm interested in it. So that's what I went for. So what is your process on picking a year? Like, for an example, like when we did our bonus episodes, we we hosted a poll for film, film Twitter. And the two most requested episodes for us, which we ended up doing, was 1950, um, which, of course, is, is the infamous Gloria Swanson versus Betty Davis year. And then 1968, which would have been the tie year between Hepburn and Streisand. Um, so I know we go for, like, requests from 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 people. How do you go about picking a year and really breaking it down. Mm -hmm. Um, So for a long time, I was literally just doing it based on interest. Like I would read something in a magazine about like Elizabeth Taylor's estate or something like that. And then would just be like, huh, like what is her story? And just read more about it. Um, And so it was really just kind of based on a whim for a really long time. Uh, Now I'm trying to be more transparent about it. Um, And so I've sort of, narrowed down like three per uh, three possibilities like per new episode I guess um, and I'm letting people on Patreon vote for those so if you are interested in having a say in that hit me up on Patreon yeah definitely um, plug it away for sure yeah so it's just uh, BK Rewind patreon.com slash BK Rewind but yeah so I mean there really isn't a methodology to it at all it's mostly just what i'm interested in and what patrons have to say about it of course and this was a year too because i had remember i request or when i had asked you if you want to do this i always like to ask my guests like where what year do you want like if there's a year that you can do it is this year and why did you pick 1992 
Um, I actually have no idea why I picked this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure I, you know, did a cursory search or something that led me to this. But, um, yeah, I think maybe it was that I just hadn't seen really any of these movies. I think only, like, 30% of them. Um, so just kind of wanting to try something new and see a bunch of new stuff. Perfect. I mean, there's not a better excuse than having to do a little homework for this, right? Yeah, so there you for go. sure. There you go. Brandon, anything else before we get started? No, I think I'm good. Take us away, sir. Okay, so your supporting actress nominees in 1992 were... Judy Davis in Husbands and Wives. Joan Plowright in Enchanted April. Vanessa Redgrave in Howard's End. Miranda Richardson in Damage. Marisa Tomei in My Cousin Vinny. Okay, so let's start off with our winner for the year. That's Marissa Tomei winning for My Cousin Vinny. This is her first of three nominations, and so far her first and only win. Going into this, she wins the MTV Movie Award and a special newcomer award from the Chicago Film Critics. She's also nominated for Supporting Actress at the Chicago Film Critics, but she does not win that one. And in My Cousin Benny, Marissa Tomei plays Mona Lisa Vito, the fiancé to Joe Pesci's Benny character. She's colorful and opinionated, loves Chinese food, and knows way more about cars than my gay ass. So I'm going to start off with Isabel. What are your feelings on Marissa Tomei and My Cousin Vinny? Um, I felt like her performance was extremely refreshing. And, um, I'll say why. Um, so I watched My Cousin Vinny kind of after I'd gone through the bulk of the other movies from this year. And I'm sure we'll get into this like later in the podcast, but so many of these movies are extremely depressing and just like tragic um, or really, really serious. So by the time I got to my cousin Vinny, I was just like, thank God. <laughs> um, it was like, she's just so good and like cute. And um, in that context, I just felt like it was a very refreshing and kind of like, um, fun just fun performance i guess was my initial takeaway solid um i'm gonna jump right off of that i i think of this year with this lineup specifically in supporting and i'm like you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of the lead ladies of 84 where it was the year of the year of the farm ladies this is the year of the corset ladies this whole lineup pretty much except for really if you think about it the exception of marissa tomei and it, it is it's so refreshing it's it's such um a light-hearted performance that's really funny and sticks with you compared to the others and i like it a lot um it's also one of those movies that i 100 percent I, I, I quote this all the time with my friends, whether it's, you know, my biological clock is ticking like this, or imagine your little deer. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, or what's a ute? Like, there's, <laughs> how about breakfast? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many quotable lines in this movie. And it's not just Tomei, it's Pesci in this. Like, to think that this is the same guy that, you know, beat the shit out of people in Goodfellas a year or two before, 
and but it's also the same guy that tried to you know rob Kevin McAllister's ass at his house and in New York. You know, like it's it's such a range for all of its actors. And you know, it, I I mean, I might be wrong on this because I re- was born the, the the year of this podcast that we're doing, but. Um, Ralph Macchio, I think, was really pigeonholed as the Karate Kid at this point. So this might have been like mm-hmm. the first time that people had seen him outside of that. But um, so you know, all around, it's a really solid ensemble group. I feel like this movie would do really well at SAG had it been around at that time for the ensemble uh, nomination. But um, specifically, Marissa Tomei, I just think she's a breath of fresh air. I think, I think it's such a left field nomination and win. And of course, you know, her win caused a lot of controversy. That was honestly really disrespectful um, to Marissa Tomei's work because you know there was the the rumor from Rex Reed that had gone around that was like, oh, Jack Palance read the wrong name. Well, hello. Anyone who's watched the Oscars in the last couple of years, what happened when La La Land won that Oscar, right? You know, people were out on stage and we saw what happened. So, I mean, I just, I think that was really bad for that to happen. But I think this performance is fantastic. And it's honestly one of the few shining lights of the decade for me um, regarding surprise wins. I think it's great. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Marissa Tomei gets a lot of shit for this when she did back in the day. And for some reason, she still does now. There's still people that like to hate on it. Yeah. and call it a, fri- a frivolous performance or a silly comedic performance that doesn't have the same gravitas or whatever you want to call it. And I think that's just rude, honestly, because I think she's fantastic in this movie. She's hilarious, and like you were saying, she is so quotable in this, and she has such a positive energy that I think she has a real magnetism to her, and I just want to watch her anytime she's on screen. Like, she's the person my eye is always going to, whether she's saying or doing anything at all. And, I mean, her her testimony scene, I mean, iconic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you could put that in a, a lineup with any other courtroom scene in Oscar history, dramatic or comedic, and it's up there at the top. And that has all to do with her. Yeah, Pesci's great. He's at the top of his game as well. The writing and the direction is great. But Marissa Tomei, I think, is really tying the whole thing together. She's carrying the entire scene, and she really makes Mona Lisa Vito shine. And I think it's too bad that people like to shit on this performance, particularly because it won the Oscar, because she doesn't deserve that, because this is a really great outing for her. I think Joe Pesci... Oh, sorry. Joe Pesci has... Someone gave him a great direction, or he came up with um, this move on his own, but where he sort of, like, shrugs and leans back and, like, puts his feet up and watches her go. And I think, and because he knows she's about to say something, like, amazing about cars, like, prove this guy wrong and show how great she is. Um, And I love that move from him, because that's absolutely how I think the audience was feeling, too, just knowing that she was about to kind of, you know, take off and do her thing. But um, I, I, I agree. I think it's kind of, it's pretty condescending to um, be so mean about this win because, like, I think, first of all, I think it's a big misreading of that category in general because when you look at the other four in the category, many of them are pulling from the same constituency. If you liked, if you like um, Vanessa Redgrave and Howard's End, like the chances are that you also really liked Joan Plowright and how do you choose between them? I imagine there were a lot of voters who um, just basically split up among 
four actresses who have very similar capabilities and like weren't necessarily doing anything um, too divergent. But I think the trouble where I think there is like a valid criticism is that if it's Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny within the context of like these eight actresses or these four actresses that year, it is like remarkable as it stands out as like the only comedy. But when you pull back and sort of recontextualize it within all of 1992, it's like, why not Rosie O'Donnell in A League of Their Own? Right. Or why not like Sister Act? Um, there are like plenty of comedies that year that are really astounding. And I think that we still um, think about with such positive feeling that like, I don't know why specifically this one <laughs> was elevated to this level, but I'm not mad at all that it was. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean, this also too became such a zeitgeist moment in pop culture for this character. I mean, not only was it spoofed on SNL, but Mar- when Marissa Tomei had uh, hosted SNL in the early '90s, she had brought back Mona Lisa Vito for a sketch. And then, you know, again years down the line, it's always you know. Yeah, we love Joe Pesci, but when you think My Cousin Vinny, it always goes to Marissa Tomei. Um, it just became such an iconic role for her. It's, you know, I had, Brandon and I had talked about in 1990 when we talked about Ghost, you know, Whoopi Goldberg became an icon in her own way, but she's one of the few people to really have both of her Oscar nominations and then win um, those roles be icon status. And Marissa Tomei, thankfully with all the BS that she went through, had that happened to her too. I'm also, I would also like, I mean, we're years away from doing her other nominations, but I'm really glad that she did get nominated more than once because that idea of, well, once and it's a fluke could not be any more like, you know, used against her. So kudos to Marissa Tomei for this. I dig it. Yeah, I do too. And um, just a little trivia bit. I mean, by the time this airs, maybe this won't be true anymore, but she's in, I believe, New York right now in a production of The Rose Tattoo by Tennessee yeah, Williams. Right. I'm not sure if it's on Broadway or if it's off Broadway, but I mean, she's still out there doing stuff, pushing uh, her limits and challenging herself. And I think that's really great. Uh, like what Joey was saying, she did get more nominations, proved that it wasn't just a, a fluke, which I think would be easy to say, especially because this is a more comedic performance that people tend to shrug off. But um, yeah, I think she totally deserved this. Uh, it is like the comedy that somehow managed to make it to the Oscars, like Isabella was saying, because she really didn't have that many precursors going into it. She had love from the Chicago film critics and an MTV movie award. So like, it's not like she was even a critics darling at that point, but somehow she made it in and she got the win. And I think it's really great. I'm really pleased that she got it. Honestly. Agreed. Agreed. So so our uh, next supporting actress is Judy Davis nominated for husbands and wives. This is her second of two nominations, previously up for A Passage to India in 1984. Now, Judy Davis pretty much was the critics' darling of the year because she wins the Boston Film Critics, the Chicago Film Critics, the Dallas Film Critics, Kansas City, London, L.A. Film Critics, and the National Board of Review and the National Society of Film Critics. She's nominated at the Golden Globes, the BAFTAs, and with the New York Film Critics, but does not win those. So you could say that she was pretty much a frontrunner for this Oscar. And in Husbands and Wives, Judy Davis plays Sally. Sally and her husband have mutually decided to separate to the surprise of their friends. And as she and her husband go through the motions of moving on, she finds that her feelings are more complicated than she had anticipated. 
So I'll start with uh, Joey here. What are your thoughts on Judy Davis and husbands and wives? Well, it's no secret by now. I mean, we're in our third season and we're X amount of episodes in. Since we started talking about Woody Allen films in 77 with Diane Keaton, it's been no secret that I'm not a fan of Woody Allen films in general outside of Bullets, of Bullets Over Broadway. So having to go back and watch this was a chore for me. And it was one of those ones that I was like, God, I really wasn't looking forward to. Um, so, you know, it is, I do have a little bias because it is an Allen film and I just have to like suck it up and get through it. But regarding Davis, I mean, it's, she's giving me as much excitement in this one as she did for the passage to India or a passage in India where it's like, uh, okay, she's here, she's nominated, but I'm not, I'm not connecting with anything that she's doing to even see where the nomination is pulling through. Um, I mean, if I will, I will give it this. I think Husbands and Wives is a great. Now that I'm in my late twenties, you know, I'm gonna be thirty in a couple in a couple years here. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I see this kind of like now as an adult. Like, this is stuff that friends who are married, who you know, that I have that they're going through. Like, it is what it is. But other than that, I mean, I think it's your run of the mill Woody Allen nomination. I don't think this is anything super special. And to know that she kind of was the one to beat here outside of Joan Plowright just due to the Golden Globe is a little odd to me. Isabel, how do you feel about it? Um, I am in love with Judy Davis's performance in this movie. Um, I am a big fan of Judy Davis generally. Um, and so I was excited to revisit this because I think I had seen this movie before like Woody, the Woody Allen problem was a problem do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. like I think it was sort of in the back burner when I had originally watched it and now it um so I was it kind of intrigued to see what it how it would resonate with me post you know cancellation or whatever mm-hmm. um but I have to say that I do think he wrote her a very interesting character I think her strength is sort of this like wild neuroticism um this kind of like almost manic search for something like she's good at being like very dynamic. And I really liked the way that uh, that script utilized that with her Um, specifically like the scene, for example, where she's trying to tell herself that she's okay to go on this date. Like she's fine. We're going to go see the opera. It's going to be great. And then she would like run into the other room and cry on the phone about how her ex was dating somebody else. Um, And that sort of like, push and pull on her mental health was um, really interesting to watch. I think she makes unlikable characters very interesting and uh, um, I guess styled in a way that only she can do. Um, So for me, I think it was, I was just waiting for her to come back on screen every moment she wasn't um, really, really loved her performance. Yeah. I like her performance in this a lot more than I did a passage to India. I wasn't a huge fan of passage to India. And I think it kind of weighed on my feelings of her performance in that, but I am a huge fan of what she's doing here in husbands and wives. I was completely drawn in by this character as well. I can't recall if I've seen this Woody Allen movie before. There was a time like in high school where I was like going through all of Woody Allen's stuff. Like you were saying kind of before he was a mainstream problem, but, um, I couldn't recall if this, I'd seen this one before or not, but uh, I was really enraptured by this character. I was completely drawn in by her, and I was kind of peeling back the layers with her because there's times where I'm not sure that she completely understands herself, 
in that really natural way where we think we want something, but then we get it and then we realize it's not what we want at all. And we want to go back and change things, but we can't. And then she finds herself in this really troublesome emotional middle ground where she doesn't know what to do. And I don't know. I was completely uh, taken in by it. And I like it a lot, actually. Yeah, I don't know if it's because I'm watching. I mean, I think it is because I'm watching it currently, but I'm a little late to the Fosse Verdon train. And so I'm, I only got three episodes left on that. And I was, I was like watching this last night, not Husbands and Wives, but Fosse Verdon. And I was like, good Lord, I feel like Michelle Williams would have been a perfect contender for this role if this movie came out today. Because it feels very similar to a lot that's happening to her character in Rossi Verdon. I don't know, maybe that's just me. Um, but not to side note recast a queen here, but I think Michelle Williams would do really good with this if this was a, you know, modern day film. I don't know about you guys. I could see her doing it. No. I did read that um, apparently Jane Fonda was in talks to play that part. And she and Woody Allen could not agree on the mental aesthetic of the character and she eventually parted ways with the project and i'm actually kind of glad about it because i i really like judy davis in this role and uh i was pretty taken by it i also think it would be kind of funny uh jane fonda playing uh sydney pollock's spouse since they did a <laughs> they shoot horses don't they together that'd be kind of just a funny dynamic but um yeah i just really like the sort of internalized then forcibly externalized struggle that this character is going through. I think Judy Davis really nails that temptuous uh, nature of the character. Yeah. Her I like that she's just annoying. Like she's annoying. Yeah. And, and yeah, we're like still really invested in, um, in her coming to like her own reconciliation with what's going on in her life. Did either of you see that movie from a couple years ago with Kate Winslet called the dressmaker? Yes. Yeah. I don't think I did. It is fantastic. First of all, if you side note, if you watch the trailer for this movie, the trailer paints this movie to be like this like romantic comedy that's like ha ha funny. And this movie is like dark. Like it's like com it's like comedy meets super heavy drama meets kind of in for a moment they're kind of like a horror film. Like it's all over the place. But Judy Davis does such amazing work there that I mean I know she's two-time nominated here i know for me like i'm not a huge fan of either of nominations but like th that performance there and that she's given in other things whether it have been like feud or whatnot is like this is why judy davis is a badass bitch when it comes to acting she's really good and oh, yeah and if uh if there are any potential judy davis fans out there who haven't seen her play um judy garland or um my brilliant career which was her breakout film like hit those up immediately because you'll see exactly why she should be legendary. Absolutely. Agreed. But yeah, check out The Dressmaker. It's on Amazon Prime if you haven't. It's amazing. Our uh, next supporting actress is Joan Plowright, nominated for Enchanted April. This is her first and only nomination. And going into this, she only has a Golden Globe win. That was pretty much her only uh, precursor going into Oscar night. And in Enchanted April, Joan Plowright plays Mrs. Fisher, one of four women who rent a chateau in Italy. She's an elderly widow who was apparently friends with every famous author. She's a bit cantankerous and a little bit lonely. And uh, Isabel, what are your thoughts on Joan Plowright and Enchanted April? Um, I just, I thought she was fine. <laughs> um, 
my <laughs> my attention was honestly drawn toward Miranda Richardson in that movie. Um, but jo- Joan is very funny, and I liked how like how she prodded everyone. Um, it gave me kind of like a Marigold Hotel vibe a little bit. Ah, yes. Um, but I I don't know. I mean, nothing really struck me with um, that performance. But I also do have to say, like, admitting my own biases, which is something of a, you know, struggle for this year in particular, is, like, a British period piece, with the exception of, like, the favorite, I'm, I'm almost always, like, never totally invested. <laughs> like, it's really hard for me to be obsessed with that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. So this one was a little hard for me to get through. But, you know, Joan Palray is a legend in her own right so it's really nice to see someone be recognized after such a an, an amazing career yeah i agree um you know i was very young when i was introduced to joan plowright in 101 dalmatians um so that's kind of what i knew her from and then i remember i worked at blockbuster when i was 18 and was like oh wow the the dalmatians lady was nominated for an oscar let me check out this movie and, you know, I revisit it for this, too, but this movie is a slow burn. Like, this is a yeah. very slow burn. And it's funny, because we're also going to be talking about it here shortly, but it's like, um, I've also mentioned before, like, a, like the, outside of Woody Allen movies, a big no-no in my book are, are Forrester movies, or Merchant Ivory. And it is, I'm very much with you there on that one, Isabel. Like, I have to, like, it's a chore to get through this outside of the favorite. Um... I think what she's doing is good. Um, I'm I'm intrigued to... I mean, very intrigued as to... I mean, the Globes are always going to glow, but why the Globes chose this one out of everything, I don't know if it was like the sentiment of like, oh, it's finally Joan Plowright's time or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, she, I think she's good for what she's got. Uh, she's just... She's a name dropper, old bitty lady, and I don't want to really put her in that category, but I just kind of feel like that's... What else is, does she have to offer in this movie outside of just like tea time gossip um i i think it's good but it's definitely an interesting golden globe win to me mm, i'll leave it at that for right now yeah i wasn't too fond of the movie itself i thought the movie itself was just all right um but i did find her rather interesting uh, she's the type of character that i really want to go to brunch with and just talk about old dead people with her uh since she seems to apparently know everybody um, she definitely has a slightly venomous nature to her. She has a very sharp tongue at times. And so, of course, I love that. Um, there was a scene, I think it's toward the end, where she's sort of on her own. I think it might have been told in voiceover, maybe as she's writing a letter or something, where she has this line about, all my dead friends don't seem worth reading tonight. They always say the same thing. And for some reason, that line kind of hit me in a weird way. Maybe I wasn't expecting it. This sort of melancholy reflection on herself, like where she is in life. I mean, it's no secret. Of course, she's rather old. She's up there. She's older than the other women she's renting the chateau with. And she's sort of in a league of her own in that regard. And I mean, she's a really lonely character. Maybe I'm just drawn to that. But she did kind of hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting toward the end where she kind of goes from this sort of dowager countess type character to this really blue person by the end. And so I definitely see the nomination. Um, 
I think she has a real um, charm to her in a very strange way. But the movie itself wasn't crazy about it. But I, I do dig Joan Plowright in it. I will say that. Yeah, I like. Yeah, definitely. Joan Plowright's a treasure, and you should. If anyone hasn't seen it, they you guys should see. Um, what is it? Tea with the Dames or whatever. It's that oh, right. <laughs> documentary with her and Judy Davis and Maggie Smith and there's somebody else and I feel really bad for not knowing who it is. It's um, Dench, right? Judy oh, Dench. Oh, wait, Judy Dench. Yes, my bad. Um, not Judy Davis. Uh, and Eileen Atkins? Eileen Atkins. Yeah, there it is. There it is. I yeah. was like, there's someone missing. And that's fantastic. <laughs> and it's funny because she makes fun of Judy Davis in that movie or uh, Judy Dench in that movie where her and Maggie Smith are like, oh, why, why don't you return to acting? And she's like, because Judy gets all the parts. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, throw the shade. Um, but yeah, I think Joan Pyrite's a treasure. Um, I just wish maybe we would have had more opportunity to see her at the Academy. Um, and I'm kind of sad that this was her only one, especially, you know, she was uh, Mrs. Laurence Olivier. So, you know, there was a lot of opportunity for her, and I think it was the squashed. Lesser, the lesser Mrs. Olivier. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. Shade. <laughs> that is what we're here for. So next uh, supporting actress nominee is Vanessa Redgrave, nominated for Howard's End. She has six nominations uh, prior to this. Uh, she was previously up for Morgan in 1966, Isadora in 68, Mary Queen of Scots in 71, Julia, which she won for in 77, and then the Bostonians in 1984. She does not have any wins going into this, but she is recognized at the National Society of Film Critics in Howard's and Vanessa Redgrave plays Ruth Wilcox, an upper-class woman who has bequeathed on her deathbed an estate known as Howard's and to a woman named Margaret, played by Emma Thompson, but the Wilcox family uh, starts to question Ruth's uh, health and mental state when she's bequeathed this estate and they destroy the evidence that Mrs. Wilcox wished it to be given to Margaret and drama ensues. So, Isabel, what are your thoughts on Vanessa Redgrave in Howard's End? So, Howard's End is a really long movie and Agreed. Vanessa Redgrave is in it for like five minutes, I would say. Um, all of it at the beginning. So for me, like, I kind of have the hardest time remembering even like what her performance was like, because 90% of the movie happens after she's, you know, done her thing. Um, which I guess, I don't know what that says about the movie or her performance, but I think generally speaking, Vanessa Redgrave has a remarkable capability to um, endow like her characters with sincerity, and I think that's what makes her performance in Howard's End so good. Um, which is just, I mean, that's all that character is. It's just a sincere kind of like pouring out for affection of her family and of her like land specifically. Um, so I mean, I think she did a, a wonderful job. Um, again, like Howard's End is kind of the same thing you were talking about, like. Uh, I think it's Merchant Ivory, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, where I was just kind of like really hard for me to get into it, but I, I think Vanessa Redgrave is like phenomenal. So just, you know, as for, for what little she contributed to the movie, she gave a lot in that time period or in that span. Yeah. The bouncing off. Here's that Merchant Ivory. 
here it is. Just yeah. talking about it. I mean, we're getting a lot of it this year. Um, uh, yeah. I, uh, it's also no secret by now that I'm not a huge fan of Vanessa Redgrave's nominations that she's had outside. Well, we didn't do Morgan, but I do think Morgan's a great one. But, like, Isadora is my favorite of hers. Um, going, again, back to our 68 bonus episode, I actually tied her Hepburn um, to win that year. Um, but this is not a Isadora-level performance for me. Um, yeah, again, it's Howard's End's way too long of a movie to keep my uh, real attention. I don't care about it. I also, like, remember... Like, I remember I, <laughs> going in to rewatch this. I was like, wow, okay, yep, she's gonna die. And then all of a sudden she was just dead, and I felt incomplete with, like, what her character was doing. And then I remember, like, thinking back to it, like, her Oscar clip at that ceremony was her final scene sitting in that chair there. And I'm like, oh, maybe there is more. Maybe I'm just forgetting. And I'm like, oh, my God, wait, that was it. it like, it just happened so fast. Um, so this was either the cause of a love of Howard's End or a really good campaign from the camp of Redgrave um, because I just don't see it. I don't see the nomination. I don't see how she could have won this. That's just me. Uh, what about you, Brandon? Yeah, so when people talk about Howard's End, Vanessa Redgrave's not the first thing you talk about. Um, she doesn't really leave that much of an impression on you. I think a lot of that has to do with she's only really in, what, the first 15, 20 minutes and she's gone. Um, I have a feeling she was probably nominated because she's Vanessa Redgrave. I feel like if any other actress of a certain age would have done that, I have a hard time believing they would have been nominated for it. I don't think it's a role that really demands all that much of the actor. Um, Vanessa Redgrave definitely has a presence. She has a certain um, grand dame magnetism about her that I think people really dig, and she has the name recognition. She was the most nominated one in this lineup this year. So I could see how people might just check the box because of who she is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this um, the performance isn't doing all that much for me. Um, I don't dislike Howard's End as much as I do other Merchant Ivory ones. Uh, it's it's okay for me. I don't love it, but um, it doesn't do a whole lot for me, and especially this uh, performance. I think it's just fine. It's not actively bad in any way. I have no complaints about it, but I also don't really have a whole lot of really glowing things to say about it either. It's just she's doing her job is really kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. I mean, Howard's End generally is just so Oscar baity, like, like so blatantly like expensive and cast with like the biggest people of that time, I guess Emma Thompson was kind of new, but still uh, like it's that kind of like movie that just totally turns me off. Honestly, I can't back that up any more than than just saying absolutely like <laughs> I 100% am with you 1000 bajillion percent there it's just mm, this line I, I mean I'm gonna say it now I feel like this lineup is very uh, like uninspiring here and I don't know if it's just because there's so much of the corset ladies thing going on but yeah no bueno no bueno right yeah and I think I think kind of I mean we haven't done Miranda Richardson yet but I think what is actually so refreshing about Marissa Tomei's performance is that there's really no hint of subversion in any 
other performance in this category. It is all just kind of like responding to the men in your life um, and like doing what like a wife would do in this situation or what would a wife do in that situation. Right. Um, and that's just, feel, it feels like incredibly repetitive and just like uninteresting for especially audiences looking back in 2019. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, as you were saying, our fifth uh, supporting actress this year is Miranda Richardson, nominated for Damage. This is her first of two nominations. Uh, for her performance in Damage, she wins the BAFTA and the London Film Critics Award and the New York Film Critics Award. And the New York Film Critics combined uh, her performance in Damage with her performances in The Crying Game and Enchanted April. So it was uh, one award for three performances, just as a little note. And she was also nominated at the Golden Globes with the New York Film Critics and with the National Society of Film Critics. In Damage, Miranda Richardson plays Ingrid, the wife of a politician who is carrying on an affair with their son's fiance, and she's pretty much reacting to the situation, as Isabel was saying. So, uh, Joey, what are your thoughts on Miranda Richardson and Damage? I love Miranda Richardson and Damage here, and I love it because... And I think I've said this before, I'm not, like, huge on giving an Oscar for, like, a scene, but Miranda Richardson has one of those roles where, in a way, she is the audience, she's... she's you're watching it as an audience member, this go down, this affair with Irons and Binoche, and it's like, oh my god, what's going to happen when Richardson finds out? And then Richardson finds out, and in a way what I mean by she's the audience is that her reaction is kind of like what you're feeling as the audience member. Because she really doesn't have anything to do until that kitchen scene near the end. Up until then, I remember watching this and like, really? Like, this was an Oscar-nominated role? Like, what? What's going on? And she just is like full force. She's not here to, 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 she's not here to fuck around. She's like, she's all about it. Um, and I think it's such a natural, realistic reaction to this scenario of infidelity. And I, I dig it. I'm, I'm into it. I think this is a really solid nomination, but this is also a slow burner nomination, not a slow burner movie like Enchanted April, because this takes a while to get to the goods. And when you get there, it's like, it's a breath of fresh. You're into it. And I like it. What about you guys? Yeah. So I felt pretty much exactly the same way. Um, at first I was kind of watching this movie uh, and was very confused about why she was nominated, but it is that kitchen scene at the end that is basically, I mean, it makes up for everything, for the lack of everything else she had to do in the movie. Um, I think a lesser actor would have been extremely, like, over the top in that kind of scene, but she really smartly sort of tones it back um, and is just so kind of blown away by what by what's occurred that, like, there's this just sort of like quiet desperation almost. And I love that so much. There was, I think a second or a moment where she was like, and I would have wept. And like the way that she delivered that line, I almost gasped. I was like, Oh my God, that was amazing. Yep. Um, so I just loved the way that she performed the last like 10 minutes of the movie. And I totally think um, was absolutely deserving of a nomination. Yeah, I was pretty much in the same boat. This was my first time watching this film for this episode, and I spent pretty much the first hour and 20 minutes going, where's the nomination? Like, she's not bad, but I don't see what she's doing that's really great. 
and it crossed my mind that maybe this is one of those instances where they nominated the right actress in the right year, but for the wrong film, like how she had Enchanted April and The Crying Game also in the same year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that last 10, 15 minutes where she just explodes, I was like, whoa, okay, there it is. Yep. Get him. And it's a really good moment for her. And it really took me by surprise and it wasn't over the top. I thought it was very well delivered and totally within the realm of realism. It's not over the top where you just want to go, okay, dial it back a little, Miranda. It's it's really powerful. And she's really giving it to him in a way that he completely deserves and is completely believable. And, and I dig it. I think she's really great here. And I kind of like that we had to wait so long to get it it's kind of like a it's like a little gift at the end of the movie where she kind of turns and reminds you who she is and and i really dig it i think miranda's doing a really good job here yeah i agree this could have been a throwaway role for if it got in the hands of the wrong person um did anybody else feel just exhausted by the time she got through with her rant though like I felt like she took, like she was yelling at me, like I was, ex- I was like, oh my gosh, leave me alone! I'm so tired from this. <laughs> Did anybody else get that? I mean, I kind of felt that way, but only because I was, it was like residual from being tired with the rest of the movie. Like I just <laughs> did not enjoy the movie generally. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was happy to have her go off, but I was like, also, can this be done? Understand. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't too fond of the film itself. Uh, I have to agree with that. I thought it was kind of a drag for most of it. Uh, Miranda Richardson is uh, definitely the cherry on top at the end. Mm-hmm. Heard that. Uh, anybody else? I'm good. I'm good. All right. So your nominees for are for lead actress in 1992 were. Catherine Deneuve, All right, I got to get out of the way because I feel like we just, we, it's been such a long thing talking about Howard Zen. So we're going to start with Emma Thompson. Um, who wins this year um, for playing, I've, of course, I cannot read my own writing, for playing Margaret in Howard's End. This is uh, uh, Margaret she- uh, Schlegel. Uh, this is her first of five nominations. Um, she would follow them up with In the Name of the Father, Sense and Sensibility, um, and also, too, not only in acting, but writing as well. Um, in Howard's End, oh, going into Oscar night, too, she had a Golden Globe win for Best Actress in a Drama. And pretty much down the board wins from BAFTA, the LA Film Critics Association, the National Board of Review, the National Society of Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics Association. So she was truly the one to beat. In Howard's End, she plays, quote-unquote, the other woman here, um, the estate by Vanessa Redgrave's character Ruth is left to her, and she's kind of got to find her way through the family and how to dig herself in, and uh, Anthony Hopkins, who plays Henry Wilcox, the husband to Vanessa Redgrave, is kind of smitten while the rest of the family isn't having this. And 
Uh, Brandon, I'm going to start with you. What do you think about Emma Thompson and Howard's End? So I really like Emma Thompson, and I think she's really flipping the Emma Thompson switch here. She's giving this character um, more charm, I think, than some other actresses would. Um, I find her character very interesting in a way that I don't normally get from a lot of these Merchant Ivory films. Um, I found myself on her side a lot of the time, even when there were times when I was like, who cares about this damn property? Mostly because the movie just drags on for so long. But um, she's given me everything that Emma Thompson typically gives me. And, and I was really enjoying her performance in that regard. Of course, we've already said the movie itself, uh, it goes on for a while. And it's not exactly any of our cups of tea. But uh, I think Emma Thompson is doing what she can with this role, considering it's based on, you know, an, a very old novel from before the days of uh, modern cinema storytelling. And I think she's kind of taking it to another level that another actress might not do quite as well. But um, I'm still not crazy about it, but I, I do admire what she's doing. Isabel? Um, yeah, I feel very similarly. I found her performance very charming. Um, and But at the same time, like, also Emma Thompson's magic is that she's equally capable of charm and great depth, um, which she gets an opportunity to do here. Um, at this, uh, I was reading something about this movie where it said, like, this Howard's End of the Best Actress contenders that year was really the only film where the uh, materials quality matched the quality of the actress and I think that's like really a fair point and probably says a lot about this year in general and how it played out because it's very clear to me that Howard's End had a lot more behind it it just in terms of like momentum and money and like promotion and like like the big costumes and all these kinds of things that the other movies really didn't have like there is an infrastructure to support a really good performance for her. Um, and so I think that definitely helps a lot and like leaves you with a more positive, um, I guess, like feeling about her um, mm. when, if you leave the theater, you know what I mean? So like, yeah, I mean, it, it was perfect. It was very pleasant. I think she's incredible. I love Emma Thompson. I could watch her interviews like all day and be totally satisfied. So um, it's great. It, Howard's Bend, you know. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it is what it is. Um, Emma Thompson as a person, I think, is amazing. Like my, one of my all-time favorite Golden Globe moments is when she was nominated for Saving Mr. Banks, and she walked out with holding her heels, and she's like, you know, the Louboutin. She's like, the red on these, these my blood, and she's sipping the martini. I think she's, she's a great comedic actress um, and person. <sighs> this win was a choice, though. This was a, a choice that I'm not on board with. Um, again, I mean, we've I've already talked about how I, I'm just not a huge fan of Merchant Ivory. Howard's End is definitely a chore to get through. Because of that, I think, again, I'm a little biased towards enjoying this performance because I just can't do it. This movie is just not happening for me. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm super um, uh, dismissive of it, but it's just... Meh. I don't care. I don't care about this performance because I don't care about this movie. So I don't know if that sounds unfair, but it's just how I feel about it. I just can't get into it. I think it makes sense because I think the only reason I had moments of rooting for Margaret 
while watching it was because of Emma Thompson. So I think she's, I think she's adding layers that might not have been quite so present on the page. Maybe she's sort of taking it in her own way and adding that depth that Isabel was talking about. And she's showing us basically who she is as an actress. I mean, Emma Thompson has a very unique style of delivery in like her lines and her mannerisms and all her aesthetic choices that come into creating these characters. And I think she's able to take that here and fit it into this stuffy period piece setting and really make it work and create a character that I was willing to follow, even if I wasn't super enamored with the material itself, if that makes any sense. It does. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, honestly, the best part of the movie for me was in the beginning when they're just kind of hanging out in their apartment together because you just want to hang out with them because it just seems like Emma Thompson and Helena Bonham Carter are, like, hanging out in this apartment. And that seems pretty fun. And, like, that is the kind of magnetism that makes her really special. All right. So our next nominee that this year was Catherine Deneuve as Elaine in Indochine. This is her sole nomination. And uh, not so much a precursor because it happened after, but uh, she won the Cesar Award for Best Actress, which is the equivalent of the French Academy Award. Um, in Indochine, again, Catherine Deneuve plays Elaine. And it tell, Indochine is a two and a half hour, or I'm sorry, two hour and 40 minute epic film that really is two movies in one um the uh Catherine's character is a owner of a rubber plantation in french colonial ruled indochina in the 1930s and this story kind of follows the end of that role um in indochina during that time also during this she adopts a uh, vietnamese princess and raises her as her own daughter and then gets in this weird love triangle with this Navy sailor who ends up getting it on with Deneuve in a car and then impregnating the daughter. And it's just a big old mess. So, Isabel, what do you think about Catherine Deneuve in Indochine? Um, so, I love Catherine Deneuve, like, generally. Um, I think she has something so special about her because... Uh, she's like a weird unicorn to me where it's like somehow we found this person who's like amazing um, as an actor, but also like totally gorgeous. Like how do those people exist? It's so crazy. Um, but I mean, in general, I think what makes her performance in Indochine special is the kind of like aloofness that she's pretty famous for in her like wider filmography. Um so, like, the character is very isolated and is usually, or at least in the beginning, like, a, in a position of authority. And I think playing her as this sort of, like, quiet, moody woman was such um, an interesting way to go about that role. Um, that made me much more interested in her than if she had just been, like, this spunky, like, you know, businesswoman. Or if she had just been, like, very, like, emotive and like forlorn about this lo- this lost love or whatever. Um, so I was very um, taken with this performance. Obviously, like the film itself is just enormous <laughs> in mm-hmm. scale and length and like probably also racial issues. Um, but, but yeah, I just, I really, really liked it a lot. 
Yeah, so it's it's totally ridiculous that it took us until 1992 to recognize Catherine Deneuve at the Oscars, oh, yes. considering she's in yeah. like half the movies in the Criterion Collection, and she's been a world treasure for decades. And um, I agree with what Isabel was saying. This is a much quieter performance than I was expecting. Um, I thought it was going to be a little bit more, a little bigger and more showy. And I was kind of surprised in a good way, I would say, that it was more um, quiet and not quite so big for the most part. Now, sometimes I think the movie swallows her up a little bit. Sometimes I think the movie's almost too big for that style of performance that she's giving. And sometimes I think she kind of blends away at times. And like Joey touched on a little bit that this sometimes feels like two movies in one. Like it has this weird side story that kind that kind of becomes like the main story for almost an entire act of the movie and then jumps back. And there for a while you're missing Catherine Deneuve for almost like 20, 25 minutes of the movie. And sometimes I think the movie is not always doing her that many favors and I think she might be doing the bulk of the work on her own the movie doesn't seem all that interested in her sometimes which is kind of funny and um, I do kind of dig the quietness of it though it wasn't too showy to give me an Oscar you know what I mean so um, yeah Joey how do you feel about it well, I I saw this years ago, again, throwing it back to the blockbuster days, and I remember watching this movie, and I was like, really? Deneuve got a lead? I was, Again, bear with me here for a second. And I was like, no, she's in the wrong category. If anything, I would have put Lynn Don Pham, who played Camille, the daughter in lead, because there is like a solid 45 minutes where she's not in this. And then I hadn't touched it in years until it was time to revisit this a couple weeks ago for this. And I like got a whole new appreciation for this performance and she's in the right category and um, the, this film in general because this was the best foreign language film winner of this year. And then I think back to like Repulsion or Belle du Jour and these big showy Deneuve performances and again, I 100% back what Brandon had said there. I cannot believe it took till 1992 to get Deneuve a nomination and this is still her only nomination so it's a little weird to me. Um... But this is very much not what we're used to with Deneuve because it is so reserved. And when she needs to get mad, she gets mad. And when she's working behind the scenes, she's working behind the scenes. And when she finds the Navy officer shot dead in the bed, she goes AWOL. And I think it's I think it works really, really well for the story that, she, that, that she's telling and this character. And I really like this. I'm also I also tend to favor French performances. Um, in general, because I love French cinema and the French language, so I, I'm a little... This is where I'm a little biased there, too. Um, but I, I really like this. I really like this performance a lot from her. I dig it. I think it's also interesting because it's the only film of this... I, I guess of all eight performances that we've talked about where she is also, like, the observer of her own story. Yes. Um, which I think... Also, um, the way that I think that's kind of an interesting interplay that she would be more reserved in her own story because she's able to sort of spell it out for you in other ways. Um, and I don't know. I just think that lends a really um, cool perspective to her character. Yeah, I'm going to bounce off that really quick because this is such a big epic. And, you know, I, I, we've talked about actresses before who kind of get swallowed up in this big epic. And even though she's not in the forefront with this big dramatic 
loud role. She doesn't let the movie swallow her as a character because she is viewing her own story from the outside. Um, so I definitely agree with you there on that one. That's a, that's a solid observation. I dig it. Yeah, I know. I said she kind of does sort of blend away at times. And I think what I meant by that is the movie doesn't seem to be interested in just telling her story. Like there's so much more going on that sometimes um, there's almost so much going on that we forget that she's there. Like when she's gone for that huge portion where it's about the daughter and that other fellow. But um, yeah, when she does come back, she reminds you that she was never really gone. And that's definitely a testament to Catherine Deneuve. Even if the movie isn't always interested in telling just her story 100% of the time, she definitely always comes back to remind you that it is definitely her story and she's a major part of this whole atmosphere. Yep. And also, I mean, we like no Oscar voter is in a bubble, right? Like they're all thinking about Belle de Jour and like all these other things when they're assessing like who they're going to vote for. Um, and I just, I think it's so remarkable that like she, her, the span of her career goes from like umbrellas of Cherbourg to like this kind of thing. You can very clearly see how she matures as an actress. Um, especially like in the type of roles she's taking and how she like thinks about womanhood and all that kind of stuff. And um, I, just, I think that's another reason to vote for her in this case. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Moving on to Michelle Pfeiffer as Lorene Hallett in Love Field. This is her third of three nominations and her most recent nomination. She fought, uh, she went into this with a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress in a Drama and a New York Film Critics Association nomination for Best Actress. Um, before this, she had been nominated for Supporting in Dangerous Liaisons and Lead in The Fabulous Baker Boys. In Left Field, Michelle Pfeiffer again plays Lorene, who is a woman who is smitten with uh, Jackie Kennedy and uh, JFK in general. And she goes to uh, greet them at the airport at Left Field, when uh, they land the morning of the fateful day that JFK was uh, shot and assassinated. And the story then follows her wanting to go to the funeral upon going through the South during a very segregated time in the United States where racism is rampant and she meets uh, a man traveling with her, with his daughter and doesn't think that everything seems to be just okay. So Brandon, what do you think about Michelle Pfeiffer in Love Field? So I love Michelle Pfeiffer, but I had really mixed feelings about this character. Um, maybe this reading is skewed or incorrect, so please let me know if you guys have a completely different reading of this. But I feel like everything bad that happens in this movie is her fault, and I had a hard time really going along with it. Like, I'm totally cool if, you know unlikable characters, whatever, but I don't think this movie treats her as an unlikable character. I just feel like all the bad stuff that the Dennis Haysbert character and the daughter are going through are exacerbated by her and the actions that she takes when she honestly probably should have been minding her own business. And so I had really mixed feelings while watching it, but I do think that Michelle Pfeiffer is really good in the role. Um, I totally believe that she feels as though she's in the right and she's what she thinks is doing the right thing in the movie and maybe that's the point of it maybe it's supposed to be this story about how well-meaning people sometimes um should just back off and let other people handle 
their own struggles. I don't know. I'm having a hard time explaining it, but um, it's a it's a concept that I've been struggling with since I watched this a little while ago. So I think for right now, I'm just going to kick it off to someone else, and maybe I'll figure out what I'm trying to say. Isabel? Um, yeah, I had a very similar reaction. Um, I, I was logging this on Letterboxd, and um, I read a review from someone who was like, hey, what if we made Green Book but worse? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like not wrong. Um, but, okay, like, I just had a lot of problems with this, and I don't think that the, the script does her really any favors, but I think like there were so many disjointed character choices that like really didn't make sense to me. Um, like for example, you know, she has this kind of like Marilyn wig on, but at the same time is like obsessed with Jackie Kennedy. So it's like, that seems hmm. like a really awkward choice to me. <laughs> like um, there, there were all of these choices where it's like, I'm not really sure that that was a Texan accent. Like it was definitely Southern at some point, but like, I don't know. Or, like, she works at a hair salon, but that really has, like, no discernible impact on her character other than, like, she has this one friend and, like, she has this haircut, which, again, doesn't, like, really match up with this person that she's allegedly, like, idolizing. So there are, or, uh, yeah, so, like, there were all of these choices that I just felt like, like, Michelle showed up and, like, delivered lines that were, like, decently delivered and then that's it like there's not there wasn't any elevation of like who is this person and like why on earth should we sympathize with her when she's like systematically like destroying the lives of everybody around her you don't really get a sense of why she's unique at all um that and i think those like little details of like working out like maybe some mannerisms or um you know the way that she plays with her hair like little things that could have just made it feel so much more complete and um you know like like a person and not just like a stan who like is lost in the south you know yep um this gives me all types of fever mainly because this is the 1992 gave us this and it gave us Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, and this is the one that gets the nomination? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, For real. Like, That's so real. What is going on? And then I read about that the uh, that Orion, which was totally going bankrupt at this time, just released Love Field like the last week of December so it could get like, you know, um, uh, it could be eligible for Academy Award nominations. And I'm just like, this movie just feels like... A student film like it feels incomplete like there's not a true story here and yes everything that's happening in this story is a direct negative to Lorene's nosy ass in this movie like it's just you know I'm glad girl got away from the horrible husband but it's just like the movie literally begins with her like throwing her neighbor down a curb to like get into this car like she's just so such a horrible character and then i don't know i'm just this is this is a laughable one for me i can't i can't because this is the same year as catwoman and this is what we're given to review love story no ma'am no thank you no way
the tone of this, I find that this movie tonally confusing because like, I don't know what I wanted in the end. I don't know. I, I needed like some kind of comeuppance or realization for her character, for her to realize that pretty much the, all of the conflicts that she and the other characters go through from basically the second act on are completely her fault. Like if she had just been minding her own business, pretty much none of this would have happened. And I feel like I just needed that character to realize it at some point, but I guess that was never, maybe that was never really the intention of the movie. Maybe the filmmakers totally think that she was in the right the whole time. And maybe my assessment that this movie is about how well-meaning people just need to mind their own business is wrong. Maybe that's just what I want it to be about because that's how I responded to this character. But it just, it just did not come together for me in the end because I also, even though I do not, care for this character i don't think the movie is treating her as an unlikable character i think the movie wants us to like her a lot they want us to think that she is helping that she is inserting her whiteness to try to save these this this black father and daughter even though she's in a way kind of low-key not the villain but she's definitely not helping them for a lot of this movie I don't know. I just found it very frustrating, and I'm having a hard time putting it out there coherently. Uh, I'm just very confused by this whole thing. Yeah, and also, I mean, watching truly, like, a lot of these movies this year, it became more obvious to me, like, why movies like Green Book do well. Because, oh, yeah. like, it's all it's all this, like, same kind of sentiment where it's like, well, if I just, like, try, then maybe things will be better. And it's it's, like, so divorced from reality that it's it's like truly cringeworthy white savior film at its finest right here yeah yeah if the movie had like ended with like some sort of realization where she was like oh wow i i really didn't save these people at all i made everything a whole lot fucking worse maybe it would have saved it in some regard for me but because she's treated like this godsend for these for this father and daughter and there's really no repercussions for what she does uh yeah this movie just leaves a sour taste in my mouth honestly agreed and unfortunately it's gonna it, it weighs on her performance for me because i find it so tonally confusing mm-hmm. and again 1992 catwoman was right there <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm holding a grudge 27 years later i'm holding a grudge all right moving on to mary mcdonald this is her second of two nominations and her most recent as may alice colhane in passion fish um, going into Oscar night, she only had a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress in a Drama. And uh, in Passion Fish, Mary McDonald again plays May Alice, who is a soap opera actress from the South who gets into an accident and becomes a paraplegic and therefore has to um, adjust to a new life in a chair and back in her hometown. And the ups and downs of what follows is just real interesting. So, uh, Isabel, what do you think about... Uh, Mary McDonald as May Alice in Passion Fish. I think the Academy nominated the wrong woman. Um, in my book, Alfre Woodard like makes that movie what it is. Uh, I was absolutely in love with her performance. Mary McDonald, I think, was gave a very like standard performance here. Um, hold on, let me. I have notes about this. Oh, I wrote sick guitar riffs. <laughs> like every time, did you guys notice? Like every time she would like someone would say something to her, and then she would 
like respond with some witty quip about how she like actually can't walk anymore and then it'd be like <laughs> like oh my god it did it like eight times in a row and I was so well I was just laughing by the end but anyway I felt like her character was a little um predictable I guess in like the way that she expressed her frustration with her condition um and but otherwise I mean yeah I thought she was pretty good I guess yeah I don't know <laughs> Brandon what do you think about her so I really like uh, Mary McDonald just in general she's one of those actresses who I think really deserves more than what the industry has given her since the early 90s and I do really dig what she's doing here um, I think the the music choices are definitely a sign of the times um, we got that in some earlier stuff like for the boys in 1990 the guitar the electric guitar riffs sort of amplify <laughs> lines and sequences but um, I really did like what she was doing here um, for some reason I really like actors who are acting within their character because I mean she's a soap opera actress who you know can no longer do her job because of her condition and she's kind of been replaced on her show and um there's that has like these built-in layers to it and I really like that um moment on when her co-stars come to visit her and she meets the actress who's now playing her her old part and uh, they're talking about the character and all the things the character's been through as if they are the character. Like they're saying, oh, I'm pregnant or I was kidnapped or whatever the subplot is on the show. And it's like they share, like they're sharing a literal life. And I found that really kind of charming. And uh, that kind of reflects on the scene when the uh, writer from her soap comes to visit her and they're talking about somehow finding a way to get her back on the show even in her wheelchair and they're coming up with all these crazy soap opera plots. And she's like one step ahead of the writer because she's been in the game for so long and she knows all the twists that are going to come to get her back in. And I don't know I found it really, really energizing. I really liked her in this. Um, I'm just a big fan of Mary McDonald. So maybe that was weighing on it in a positive way. Uh, so Joey, how do you feel about it? I definitely agree with both of you. Um, starting with, the uh, the actress who should have gotten the nomination didn't hear, which would have been Alfre Woodard. Um, she got the Golden Globe, but of course, you know, the Oscars did not give it to her, which is a sad because Woodard gives some of her best work here in this movie, to be honest with you. Um, I also think that this is way better than her Dances with Wolves nomination. Um, I really actually enjoy what McDonald's doing here. The movie, though, is really weird, and it's got some of the worst editing because it loves to go to blackout screens that I've ever you know, witnessed in a film. It almost feels like Lifetime produced this movie and was like, we're going to put it into theaters for some Oscar buzz. Um, I would honestly probably say, too, it's got, it's got really bad editing up there with Bo Rap. And while we see what happened with Bo Rap's editing, it won itself an Oscar. Um, but as a performance, I think what, McDonald doesn't have much to work here with, but what she is doing is giving a very realistic um, response to the trauma and um, giving us a character who just 
is really just giving up on life because she escaped the small town, made it big, and is stuck in the small town now for life. And I think it's I think it's a realistic portrait of what is happening to her. And I like it, um, but I'm not over the moon for it. Um, but I do think it is better than her Dances with Wolves nomination by far. I do like this more than her Dances with Wolves. I think it, it's giving her more to work with, I suppose. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this role were written for her in, with her in mind. I know she and John Sales had worked together before, so maybe it might not feel like she's challenging herself at times, or maybe she it feels like she fits a little bit too neatly into the character at times because it was written for her. I don't know that for certain, but I wouldn't be surprised. But um, nevertheless, I still did find her really um, entertaining in a way that I hadn't really expected. Um, I really like Mary McDonald, uh, but um, I didn't really know what to expect going into this. I actually didn't even know what the movie was about, honestly. When I started watching it, I had never seen it before. But... um, yeah, I think she's doing a lot with what she has to work with. I think this might be another example, like we had talked about with Dances with Wolves, or maybe she's doing more than what's on the page. Maybe that's because she has a relationship with John Sales and he knew what she could do. And maybe if maybe it's underwritten at times because he was giving her reign to do what she wanted with it. Perhaps that's it. Oh, yeah. I hadn't even um, contextualized it in my head with Dances with Wolves, but I totally agree on that front. I like her a lot more in this. Movie. Yeah, and to bounce off really quick, um, from the research that I found on this, she was offered this role before the before there was even a script um, at the Academy Awards ceremony for the Dances with when, her nomination. So this role was hers before there was even a script. So I guess everything else was built around her. So little that answered your question there, Brandon. Okay, go Mary. Go Mary. And with our final nomination this year, we have Susan Sarandon as Michaela Odone in Lorenzo's Oil. This is her third of fifth uh, nominations. Um, Before this, she was nominated for Atlantic City and Thelma and Louise the year before. She would follow this up with a uh, consecutive nomination for The Client and then winning in 1995 for Dead Man Walking. Going into Oscar night, uh, Susan had the Golden Globe nomination, uh, National Society of Film Critics, and the New York Film Critics Association Awards for Best Actress in a Drama. Um, I don't know if I said, but those are all nominations, not wins. Um, In Lorenzo's Oil, uh, Susan is playing, again, Michaela. This is based off of a true story. She plays a mother who uh, kind of is the guinea pig uh, with her son, her son's condition, um... Oh, God, and it's totally... What, ATD? ALD? ALD, yes. Thank you. That was totally slipping. That's why I was like, uh, uh, uh. Uh, It's this disease that no doctors at the time, this takes place in the 80s, had no idea really what was going on, and it's it's a disease that causes too much fat to not be able to break down in the body, and it affects boys, and her son gets affected with this and literally just kind of becomes a vegetable in front of her eyes. And the story is about her and her husband taking the front to find a cure. Um, And Brandon, start us off on this one. Sorry, I really struggled there trying to tell what this was about. Lorenzo's oil is really hard to watch. At least it was for me. Um, This is a very dark movie and... I found some sequences 
particularly where the son is um, having, you know, his episodes or whatever you want to call it. I don't want to trivialize what he's going through, but when he has his attacks, those scenes are so gripping. And I think Susan Sarandon has a real grasp of what's going on. And she, in a way, is sort of conducting the scenes. Like, you can totally feel the stakes through her in those scenes. And I think she's really carrying the super heavy weight of this material. And honestly, I had to take a couple breaks while watching this movie because I had a hard time, honestly, handling it. And uh, Susan Sarandon, I think, is doing a tremendous job of taking on this role and really selling what's happening in it and why the story matters. So um, I think I'm going to throw it over to Isabel now. Yeah. um, I also found this really hard to watch, but I also like really hated this movie. (laughs) Um, I just, because the whole time I was just so frustrated at how like indulgent I found these parents like it, like how personally, like I guess uh, disturbed I was by it was like distracting to me. Mm-hmm. So it was like hard for me to observe as just like, what is this like as a movie or like a performance? Um, I think, yeah, it it to me I think just observing it in like 2019, it just reads totally different for me than it probably did in 1992 because. Like, back then, it was probably just this cool, like, do-it-yourself, like, you're saving your kid, you know, like, it's sad, but it's still, you know, this personal kind of triumph, but now it just, it honestly read as, like, like, these crazy, like, anti-vaxxer parents that, like, think that they know better than the doctors, and, like, I found myself sort of stepping back and living inside of the doctor's head and being like, wait, you do need a clinical trial, like, like, please don't do this to your kids um, because, like, that's what we're talking about now. And so it's just really hard for me to, like, watch this movie and feel kind of not, um, like, absorbed in a context that would not have been relevant to this movie at all. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think Susan Sarandon does give a really powerful performance here, though, um, because her strength is, like, kind of very similar to Jane Fonda's where it's, like, they choose these kind of like message movies where they can just kind of be on this determined journey and like tell everybody they're wrong and, you know, figure it out. And it's just kind of this puzzle that they're this kind of progressive puzzle that they're putting together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she's great at that. Like that's what she basically won her Oscar for. So of course, like her performance was, was, good but i i again was i just really didn't like the movie so it was hard for me to to take it in understandable you know from the man that brought us mad max and the road warrior and thunderdome and the witches of easter it comes 1992's feel-good movie of the year lorenzo's oil like it's it's such a departure from george miller to like go from that to this and i do agree with both of you like this movie is very very hard to watch at times but it's also like frustrating and i think this is one of those like oh my god i have to 
I'm, I'm, I'm changing genre almost. Like, I need to really give all that I can in this one movie to show that I'm different as a filmmaker. And I think George Miller, uh, like, stumbles a little bit there. I think this would work really, really good as a stage play. Um, but as a movie, it does have... I do have some issues with it. Um, regarding uh, Susan Sarandon, though, amazing. Really good facial acting. Like, there's that scene where she can't understand her son... After, like, she's like, I could understand him at, at noon, and then all of a sudden it's, like, 3 o'clock, and she officially can't tell what he's saying. Like, there's this heartbrokenness of, oh, my gosh, I'm his mother, and I can't even understand my own child. And it's it's really sad. Um, I think she's doing really, really good work here. Of course, there's that scene where she's like, you know, just go on to baby Jesus if, you know, this is too much for you, and you, you see... Uh, uh, Nick Nolte in the background, just like listening in on this, and of course the issues that she has with her sister, and then accepting her sister back, and kicking out all these nurses, and you know she's going through a lot, and she takes you on a journey, and I think, yeah, I think the Jane Fonda comparison is very on point there, um, but I also think this is a very interesting follow up to Thelma and Louise that was just a year earlier, like it's sandwiched in between the client and Thelma and Louise, and it's um. It's a very interesting three years for Susan Sarandon. Let's just say that much. Um, but yeah, I think she's doing really, really good work here. And um, you know what? I'll say what I have to say for the rankings. Because I'm going to add a little comment to that when we get to the rankings. Um, did anyone else get totally thrown off by Nick Nolte's Italian accent? Yes. yes. Oh, oh, my God. God. It was so horrible. Yes. Yeah, I needed it to end. <laughs> it, was... it felt like a joke the whole time. Yeah, and um, hello, uh, we got, um, uh, uh, well, what's her name? Aunt Lydia from The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, Anne Dowd. Anne Dowd, Margo and we Martindale. got Margot Martindale in the same movie. And Becky Ann Baker. Yes. Becky Ann Baker is the, oh, wow, yeah. the flirtatious assistant at the, uh, the Olive place. I yeah. can't remember what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. We got Anne Dowd and Legend. Margot Martindale in the same so I was like, so many gay icons in one. <laughs> right? Does anybody have anything else before we get to the rankings? Well, I think I was going to uh, touch on what Isabel was saying. I definitely get the frustration. Um, and I did not even make the anti-vaxxer um, us against the medical institution m message of this movie. And I can definitely see how it would not play with a lot of people. And I just wanted to mention that I totally get that reading of it. And I think that's very apt. So I definitely understand that, and uh, I think that's a really cool observation. Agreed. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Brandon, take us away. Okay, so as a reminder, your supporting actors nominees were Marissa Tomei in My Cousin Denny, Judy Davis in Husbands and Wives, Joan Plowright in Enchanted April, Vanessa Redgrave in Howard's End, and Miranda Richardson in Damage. And I am going to give my number five spot to Vanessa Redgrave and Howard's End. Um, Vanessa Redgrave is a legend. There's no doubt about that. But Howard's End is definitely not doing a whole lot for her. And um, I don't have all that much to say about the nomination. So she gets my number five. So, Isabel, who is your number five? Uh, my number five was Joan Plowright. Um, just because... I think that one was like the most confusing nomination for me just because uh, it felt very straightforward and also was not the character that I felt um, grabbed me the most in the in 
in that film. So, yeah. Heard that. Well, my number five is also Vanessa Redgrave. Um, thanks for showing up for a cameo, I guess. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Next. Uh, my number four spot is going to go to Miranda Richardson for Damage. Um, her final climactic uh, moment is wonderful, but as a performance overall, um, I thought it was just all right. The movie doesn't give her that many opportunities until that big moment, and um, for me, that's not quite enough to get um, a win for me. So Miranda Richardson is going to get my number four for Damage. Uh, my number four is Vanessa Redgrave, um, just because... Like we discussed, it was a very small role, but I do feel like she endowed it with a lot of um, authenticity and I guess like sort of like her regal elegance really, um, I guess, made it stand out for me. Heard that. Well, my number four is going to Judy Davis. Um, again, it might be my bias towards Woody Allen films. It just do doesn't connect me with this character, but also to like in the long run, I guess I'm sticking with what I had to say earlier. She just what she's doing just doesn't read nominee to me so it's like okay you know i mean she, she's definitely she made more of an impression on me than vanessa redgrave because you know vanessa redgrave is in 40 seconds of howard's end but yep i gotta go four for judy my number three is going to joan plowright for enchanted april um this is a character that i would definitely like to go out to brunch with i just want to gossip with her and talk about all the famous people that we know and name drop all these people and whatnot. And there is also this like melancholy nature to her character underneath it all that really kind of got to me in, in a surprising way. So uh, she made it to my number three spot. Uh, so my number three is Marissa Tomei. Whoa. Because I know it's low, right? Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, <laughs> As I say on here, you um, made me grab my pearls. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so, like, okay, so we basically talked about how she was, like, a breath of fresh air in this category, and I do think, like, absolutely, I'm so drawn to her performance, and I think, um, you know, she's great. Like, she's just so magnetic, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but at the same time, like, there is that sort of hesitancy, just knowing, like, I mean, even Michelle Pfeiffer in Catwoman, like, she could have been easily in this slot. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many, like, non-traditional Oscar movies that I think um, could just as easily be here. And so I think, like, within this context, love what she's doing, love the movie, but I'm also just sort of not ready to, to you know, pull, uh, pull the trigger on that just because of outside information, I guess. Heard. Heard. Well, after um, having to regain my pearls here, um, kudos on, on throwing, throwing me there. I honestly thought you were going to go for Tomei. Um, I'm giving <laughs> third to Joan Plowright. Um, yeah, uh, really, really slow burn of a movie. Character isn't really, like, you know, giving me much. But what she does have is that little Joan Plowright charm that shines through and therefore she'll get third, but it's close, but no cigar really for me. So remaining, I have uh, Marissa Tomei and Judy Davis and I am giving my runner up spot to Marissa Tomei for my cousin, Denny. I'm giving Judy Davis the win for husbands and wives 
Marissa Tomei is fantastic and my cousin Benny, and I definitely see why people would vote for her. She has pretty much everything going for her, and in so many ways, she makes that movie work. But Judy Davis is giving me the kind of performance that I'm really drawn to. I was so fascinated by the complexities and all the different facets to this character, and I loved discovering more about Sally as Sally was discovering more about Sally. And I think we're getting a lot of precursors in her that we see in a lot of following Woody Allen films. Like I'm thinking of like Penelope Cruz and Vicky Cristina Barcelona and uh, Kate Blanchett and Blue Jasmine. Like you get this, these really complicated neurotic characters and I found it so fascinating. And I, of all these five nominees, she's the one that I think I was the most uh, interested in dissecting, you know, analytically and so judy davis gets my win for the year uh so my runner-up is miranda richardson um i realize that she doesn't get a lot to do in damage but i think like i mentioned earlier a uh, a lesser actor wouldn't have made what she made out of that role um i do think the last couple of minutes her last couple of scenes show a remarkable level of skill that i think deserves um a lot of attention uh, but for me, I would have voted for Judy Davis um, because I think, yes, basically what you said, I think she's capable of drawing out a lot of notes in her performance like you might not notice um, if she weren't doing them. Um, and, I, and also, I think it is a tribute to the writing just in the sense that uh, her character in comparison to the other four in the category has like a real arc. Like, you watch her go from, like, very happy with her relationship to devastated to, like, coping to, like, then, again, um, finding her truth with it. So I think that journey was just, I mean, it's, that's much more fun to work with as an actor, and it's clear that she had a lot of fun doing it um, and did it well. So she had my vote. Wow. Okay. So since you guys are being all buddy-buddy over there with Miss Davis... <laughs> Um, I am not giving it to Judy Davis. I have Marissa Tomei and Miranda Richardson left. Um, the runner-up I'm giving to Miranda Richardson. I'm giving the win to Marissa Tomei, starting with Richardson, though. Um, slow burn of a performance, but really worth it in the end. Um, but I do agree, like, as a whole, they're, like... I think it just, again, falters into that supporting actress thing that we have. That's like, if there was just maybe, like, a little bit more, I could have seen it a win. But Marissa Tomei, I think, is perfect. Uh, her comedy is on point. Um, she really brings a, uh, that breath of fresh air that I need for this lineup there. Because um, she's not one of the corset ladies. I think, I think it's a very well-stated performance and achievement when you can outshine the biggest star in the movie and that being Joe Pesci at that time. Um, and I think Tomei nails it brilliantly and I support that win. So I'm going to give it to her. All right. So to uh, refresh on the lead nominees, you had Mary McDonald in Passion Fish, Emma Thompson in Howard's End, Michelle Pfeiffer in uh, Love Story. Wow. Love Field. Uh, Susan Sarandon in uh, Lorenzo's Oil and Catherine Deneuve in Indochine. I'm a mess today. Forgive me. Um, starting me too. Off... <laughs> Yay. Aren't we all? Two claps for messes. All right. <laughs> so uh, number five for me is going to this year's winner. I'm Emma, Emma Thompson. I just can't with these Merchant Ivory movies. And I'm just tired of talking about them. So somebody else take it. 
Uh, my number five was Michelle Pfeiffer, just because that movie was like so weird, and I I don't think that like you could have easily replaced her performance with like many other actresses from that time and like been totally fine. Um, so yeah, I was just kind of blah about it. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer gets my number five as well. I've already spoken in so many circles about how I find this movie so troubling and confusing, so I'm not going to bother doing that again because it really, I feel like it threw me off for the rest of the episode. But uh, yeah, I find it confusing, so Michelle Pfeiffer gets my five. Well, I do agree Michelle Pfeiffer's down there because she is my four. Um, This is just silly. Again, Catwoman was right there. Right there. And we do this, and you know, this is just a filler nomination, and that's all I got out of that one. Number four for me was Susan Sarandon, and I like fully cop to the fact that I'm just being distracted by like how much I didn't like that movie um, <laughs> with her performance. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where I had her. I'm putting Catherine Deneuve in my number four. I love Catherine Deneuve, but for some reason, Indochine was kind of a drag for me and even though i really admire the sort of low-key nature to her performance overall i didn't i don't really know if she was elevating the material necessarily and i don't know if the if the movie was all that interested in elevating her i thought she was doing fine with what she was given and what the movie ended up being but um it's not my favorite Catherine Deneuve performance so i'm giving her uh number four heard that well number three i gotta give it to her which is weird when i say this because for years she was my number one my number three actually goes to mary mcdonald and passion fish um revisiting this actually put her down to three for me just because of the brilliance of alfrey woodard um like marissa to when i said like she outshined the star alfrey woodard did that here and therefore i would be a hypocrite if i you know what i mean like would give her the win here. Um, I'm also really distracted by the the feel of this film, kind of like how you are, Isabel, with uh, Lorenzo's Oil. I just find this, like, this, like, lifetime thing about this movie, and it's just very odd. Um, I think it's realistic what she's doing with, like, again, the trauma, but the uh, Deneuve and Sarandon do a little bit more for me here, and that's why I'm going for McDonald for number three. Um, I also had Mary McDonald at number three. Um for very much like the same reason. I mean, I think, I think the, in terms of like writing characters, she was a much more interesting person than like many of the other characters were, or like at least the bottom two for me, or even for Emma Thompson, but still. Um, but at the same time, like I was exactly the same way, just distracted by the fact that I kept thinking like, oh, shouldn't Alfrey Woodard be the one nominated here? Um, so, yeah, I put her at number three. My number three is going to Emma Thompson for Howard's End. I think she is definitely bringing a charisma to this character that might not exist with another actress. I think she's definitely taking the material and elevating it and making it more um, cinematic and dramatic than it perhaps reads on the page. But um, overall, it's not exactly my thing. So um, as much as I love Emma Thompson and how much I think she's really helping this movie, uh, she only gets my number three spot this year. Heard that. Well, my final two are Susan Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve. Um, like I just said, Mary McDonald for years was my number one. Um, so revisiting this lineup really like 
refreshed it for me and really gave me everything in new perspective. With that said, I got to give the runner up to Catherine Deneuve, which means I'm honor, um, giving Susan Sarandon the Oscar here. Um, starting with Deneuve, I, I do think, again, I'm a little biased towards French film because I love French cinema. Again, I love the language, the actresses. I mean, I, there's just something about, like, one of my favorite movies of all time is Au Revoir Les Enfants. And there's just something about French cinema that feels more free than Americanized cinema or American cinema. Um, and Deneuve does beautiful work here, but there's that chunk of like 30 to 40 minutes where she's gone, where I stop caring about her, um, even though she's super, super amazing in this. I just, yeah. Um, Sarandon, though, I completely changed my mind on this last view of Lorenzo's Oil because it is such a horrible thing for this family to go through, and she sells it. She sells it in her eyes, she sells it in her line delivery, in her emotions, and I feel for her at the end of the day. Um, now, I did mention in 1981 that I think that Atlantic City was her best work that she has ever done. Um, after this viewing of Lorenzo's Oil, I, I stand corrected. Um, I think Atlantic City and Lorenzo's Oil are two of her best work, even coming off of Thelma and Louise. Um, and yeah, I, I dig it. I think Susan Sarandon should have been the winner here. So what about you, Isabel? Um, I had Emma Thompson as the runner-up. Um, just because I really do feel like that movie would have been intolerable without her. Mm -hmm. um, mostly because of like the charm factor that we had really discussed when we went mm -hmm. over her. Um, but I did give the, the Oscar to Catherine Deneuve in this case. Um, just because I think what she does with the material is really, really interesting to me. And I also sort of just have this nostalgic feeling, like understanding that, like you said, like this actress who's been around since the 60s, who's in like a million Criterion movies, just never has gotten the light of day in the U.S. And I just think that's a sin. Um, mm. And so like in retrospect, it'd be really cool to recognize her for what maybe isn't the best movie in her oeuvre, but is still, I think, a good example of what she is capable of. So that would have been my choice. Heard that. So, so I have Mary McDonald and Susan Sarandon left, and I'm giving my runner-up spot to Mary McDonald for Passion Fish. Um, I'm a big fan of Mary McDonald. I've loved her since Battlestar Galactica, basically, and I think she's amazing. And you can definitely, I definitely believe that this role was written for her. And you can, looking back on it, it definitely feels like it was designed with her in mind. Not that that's a bad thing necessarily, but I can definitely see um, how it might not always be challenging her. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But um, Lorenzo's oil for me was so difficult to watch. And Susan Sarandon really carried it for me. And I definitely felt something while watching it in a way that I don't always um, experience. Um, I totally hear what Isabel's saying about the, the frustration with the, uh, the message of this movie. And that's definitely something I'm going to keep in mind in the future. But um, when thinking about this movie, but uh, Susan Sarandon here really sells this movie in a way that the other nominees don't quite sell theirs for me. And I definitely feel the gravity of the story through her in a way that I don't feel from the others. So um, I'm really feeling Susan Sarandon today. So she's getting my win for Lorenzo's oil. 
Heard that. And as a recap, my lead was... So outnumbered. (laughs) Now you know how I felt in supporting both of you. Um, uh, So yeah, to recap, my uh, winners of the year was Susan Sarandon in lead and Marissa Tomei in supporting. And my winners Uh, were Susan Sarandon in Lorenzo's Oil and Judy Davis in Husbands and Wives. And mine were Judy Davis in Husbands and Wives and Catherine Deneuve in Indochine. Look at that. So different, yet so alike. There are some definite Venn diagrams there. Most definitely. And that's what we love about having a third person on is that it's, I mean, there hasn't really been anyone lining up yet when it comes to three people. So this was refreshing. It's always like one or the other. And then Mm. one is totally different. So that's fine. Okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Um, of course, it's my pleasure. Is there anything? It's a good time. Yes. Now, as of this recording, it is August nineteenth. Uh, season three will not premiere until October. Um, so you're looking probably at the third or fourth week, uh, probably Halloween week, that this will come out. Um, is there anything you're working on at the moment that you'd like to plug? Um, yeah. So, a everybody should check out my YouTube channel. It's Be Kind Rewind. Um, and I'm just finishing up a script right now, so there will be. I hope an episode this Friday Ooh. from the eighties. That'll, that'll be my teaser. It's okay. from the eighties. Yeah. Ooh. Get pumped. I, if I'm going to take a guess at this, which obviously you don't have to talk about one of the biggest actress okay. races of the eighties, I would say it's either 85 or 82 just cause it's like the Lang versus Streep versus Andrews thing. Um, and then obviously 85, it would have been page versus wait, you did page though, right? No, I didn't. Or oh, am I doing it right now? I, don't I won't know. say, I but I'm know. heavily going to hint that. <laughs> Side note: I don't. I know. I don't know if you'll take this serious, but if you ever do a request, like through, uh, well, me, uh, two thousand is a great. <laughs> two thousand is a great year with Burston versus Roberts, which our guest um, for nineteen eighty eight, Craig Jordan, is an actor, and, and he's a friend of mine. He's an actor in L A. And his friend was Ellen Burson's assistant in 2000. So here's a little, little inside scoop for you. Um, apparently, apparently, the studio wanted to push Burston for supporting for Requiem, guaranteeing her a win. And she refused mm-hmm. and said, I can beat, Bur- or, I can be- beat Roberts. Because uh, Julie Roberts oh. was like the one going into it where everyone was like, oh, it's her year. Um, oh, imagine. Imagine. And wow. so it's very interesting. So if you ever need that, you can use that. And I'll get you hooked up with Craig so you can get the source down and everything. I would love that. Of course. I, I love stuff like that. There are so many stories of people just kind of like their ego getting in the way. I think that's fascinating. Yes, most definitely. Brandon? Yes? Anything you'd like to add? Uh, not exactly. Uh, thanks for coming on. It's been super cool. It's been a fun episode. Uh it's always great having a third voice, and you've been lovely. Oh, thank you so much. You guys are so great. Yes, definitely appreciate it. We'd love to have you back really on for the future, too. Of course, of course, whenever you, whenever you want. Of course. And without further ado, I am Joe Gentili. And I'm Brandon Stanwick. And, this... and I'm Isabel from Be Kind Rewind. Yes! I almost, I'm so not used to still having a third person. I almost skipped over you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> And this has been Academy Queens, your LGBT guide uh, to the Academy per decade, per category. And this has been the class of 1992. Until next time, we all say goodbye on three. One, two, three. Goodbye.